Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Controversy rocks the world of Little League to its little core today. Terry Maitland, head coach of the Flint City Golden Dragons, was led away in handcuffs during the bottom of the ninth. The public walk-off must mean a foul tip has been given to the police, which is a serious no-no. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I am one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are covering part one of The Outsider through the chapter, The Arraignment, if you're following along. If not, major spoilers ahead. And Josh is leading our discussion. Yeah, I am. All right, let's get into this story because it is intense. Holy shit, you guys. I'm only halfway through and it's one of my favorite books. <laughs> oh my god. I I have to admit... um. I've been struggling to read the past couple books. Like, Rose Red was great, but it was just not... I had to sit down and force myself to keep reading. It wasn't fun. Yeah. (laughs) Firestarter, obviously. I was like, ugh, this book. This I devoured. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. It's impossible. And that is what makes it so goddamn interesting. I, I will admit, I had to, I'm listening to this on Audible, and I had to listen to this first section twice so that I could make sure I got all the names, because for some reason, no, not a single person's name sticks into my head. Well, you know how my brain works, so <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that guy yeah. in this episode, but... All right, let's uh, let's jump into it. The, the, uh, the way this book is sectioned, all of the chapters... Uh, are dated and then they have what is happening. So our first chapter is the arrest on July 14th. This admittedly was the hardest section for me to get through until the back and forth of the interview stop. It's only 60 pages of interviews. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting because yeah, yeah, the, the interview style, it, it does throw you off a little bit. But this entire chapter, the way the information we are given is given out, it is so elegantly paced. Yes. I couldn't stop reading. Instead of jumping back and forth, let's just first talk about the the span of these interviews to the arrest. Uh, all that happens in our main story is a sedan with Ralph Anderson, who is a police officer with a bunch of other police officers are pulling up to a baseball field because they are going to arrest someone publicly and in a humiliating fashion. We know that is the plan. We know that this case has been put together very, very fast because the crime is horrendous and the evidence is damning. Should we go through this first section as um, the case for and the case against? (laughs) <laughs> okay. because the way this first section they they are going to arrest a man named terrence maitland our main character i guess nope <laughs> no <laughs> spoiler alert very much not our main character 
but the central figure yeah. of the story um, for the murder of a kid. Uh, a little boy. Frankie Peterson. Frankie Peterson. Who has was found in the woods uh, in a park with his throat ripped out and... Uh, he was very viciously sexually assaulted. With a tree branch. Protruding from his body. Ugh. Sorry, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I watch forensic files oh. and Dateline. So For <laughs> I sure. feel confident explaining this horrible thing without crying while I do it. It's, it's also very interesting because... Ben, what's happening to you as you're trying to describe it is what happens in the scene in the interview with the guy who found the body because he's just, he can't bring himself to say the things that he's seen. And Ralph is just like, hey, we have to have it as a matter of record. Can you say what you saw? And he describes that, you know, he's covered in bite marks. There's blood everywhere. It's There's just blood terror. in the trees around him. Yeah. It has sprayed so violently that it's just everywhere. Yeah, this guy is Jonathan Ritz. And poor guy was just trying to walk his dog after dinner. <laughs> it's a real law and order moment. It yes. is. It's so cool. I love it. But he's walking his dog and he has this route that he takes and he ends up in this parking lot of a nearby park and there's a white nondescript van there and his dog's like really trying to get into the woods for some reason and takes off and he's like following his dog and that's how he discovers the body. So it's interesting when they're interviewing him because he saw a van that didn't have any like words on it or anything. Just like a white dirty. econoline van. Yeah. yeah. And when it when he heard it take off, it was like had this really loud noise. It was very smoky and loud. And so that kind of sticks out. And this is just the first piece of evidence that is laid out for the first half, the first 50 pages, 60 pages of this book is just a series of eyewitness accounts that add up to definitive proof that Terrence Maitland is the murderer. And as we go through the, these first couple interviews, they don't even give you the person's name because mm -hmm. there hadn't been any sightings. But uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting is they're, they're pulling up to make the arrest. Uh, Bill Samuels, who's the district attorney, is with them. Ralph says that he thinks it's going a little too fast. Uh, even though he knows it's the right thing to do is to make this arrest. And I just thought this was interesting. Samuel, Bill Samuels tells him there are three very important things to keep in mind. One, the parents are overly anxious and everyone wants a quick arrest. Two, the evidence is beyond doubt. And three, now that he started, he might never stop. So time is of the essence. And when you say tells him, we should say, our actual, I the would actual, say, protagonist, yeah. uh, Ralph Anderson, thank you, who is a detective for the Flint City Police, and he is so invested in this uh, case because his son was coached by Terry Maitland, uh, their suspect, and when they go to arrest, he won't even go do the arrest because... He's too personally involved. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because yeah, this is the first time and not the last time that we see this kind of duality in 
the way that Ralph is reacting to not just the situation, but to Terry. That first seed of doubt is that things are going too quickly. But then in the next breath, he tells the officers who say, you know, it's your thing. It's your perp. Do you want to make the arrest? And he's like, no, I can't because I'm afraid what I would do to him. And and then we keep getting that throughout as we go along. Like Terry, Terry's reaction to all of this keeps casting seeds of doubt. And then when you think, okay, maybe Ralph is going to like realize something's not right, he kind of does. And then he immediately turns around and he's like, but I just can't believe it. He just he can't ignore the evidence. In fact, arresting Terry at the baseball game is Ralph's decision mm-hmm. because he wants everyone to know just as he knows because Terry's around kids all the time. Uh, he not only he coaches Little League, but he also uh, coaches Pop Warner, which is like peewee football. And uh, he, you know, they they talk about him being at other events, uh, the uh, the basketball games where he's scouting for players. So people know him to be around kids and it's acting. Yeah. And so everybody knows he thinks is in the best due course for the community. Even his two daughters and wife. God. Creating more victims, yep. arguably. <laughs> and it's it's interesting that you say, like, he can't ignore the evidence for good reason. This is what I love so much about the way this first chapter is set up, is we spend so much of this setup being given the reasons why he feels this way. Yeah. Like, we are given no reasons to doubt that Maitland did it. Let's go through some of the other interviews. Sure. Uh, the next one is Arlene Stanhope. Probably the most king <laughs> character in this first Ooh, section. I disagree. <laughs> Wait until we get Willow to Rainwater. Willow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two of them are very much king characters. Yes. But Arlene is, is, is an older lady who is, even though the police are, are asking her to talk about a murder, she's like, I'll get there. Let me tell my story. <laughs> Which is like, I go to this grocery store because it's cheaper so i don't even remember to be fair it does come in later because he uh she tells ralph about uh the jesus christ the time nope 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 the Uh, man the the kids the family uh frank frankie peterson peterson jesus christ oh the red hair the red hair and that he delivered their papers yes something that comes up wouldn't uh, think that would ever come back Oh, and it does in a big way. But <laughs> anyway. Yeah, she's the first eyewitness that we hear her account. And she is she's out and she sees Frankie Peterson walking his bike because his chain broke. And she sees a van in a parking lot and it's sort of in Frankie's path and out steps Coach Terry, Coach T, they call him. They have terms of endearment for this guy who's a staple in the community. He's a local celebrity. The 2015 man of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she sees him approach Frankie and presumably like, hey, you know, your bike's broken. I can give you a ride. He puts the bike in the van and then Frankie gets in the passenger seat and they leave. And she notes that it is three o'clock and that the thing that she noticed was weird was the van had orange license plates. So she knows it's not some from someplace nearby. Uh, another one of them is June. June is a, a little girl who saw the van at the park, like the, the guy who found the body. 
and she saw Coach Terry, a man she knows very well because he returned her dog when he ran away. So she knows Coach Terry saw him coming out of the brush with just blood all over his face. And Literally like head to toe. Yeah. And he's like, I had a bloody nose. And she's a stupid little kid, so she doesn't <laughs> question it. Um, I do want to talk about this particular interview, because this is this is the one interview that I totally get why you didn't want to read interviews anymore. <laughs> There's It's such a small part that uh, they're interviewing this little girl. Her mom is in the room with them. But at a certain point, they they say something and the little girl responds, that's just the way the world is. And I, I kind of <laughs> laughed because it's just like a precocious little kid statement. <laughs> but then like a page later, she says something else and goes, and that is also the way the world is. And I'm like, that's not how people <laughs> That's That's not how uh, people and little kids especially don't talk that way. Yeah, some of those, some of the interviews just they they go on. They went on a little too long for me. After knowing that the piece of information they dropped, I just wanted to get back to this main story mm-hmm. so bad. In fact, let's pop back over to the main story real quick because we have all of these. Now we we've had two eyewitnesses that say it was Terry Man. They they pick him out of uh, a six pack of photos without any hesitation whatsoever. It's it's the the bottom of the ninth in this championship game or a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And Terry is fully focused on this game. And all of a sudden the umpires call timeout and these two cops are walking down the first baseline and they right there in front of everybody slap the cuffs on him, arrest him for the murder of Frankie Peterson in front of 1500 people basically their entire community and they lead him away and what i thought was so interesting the last thing he says before they lead him away is he tells his assistant coach to take care of things for him like his his focus (laughs) is still weirdly on the game because he is in just stunned. he's just completely stunned yeah. yeah yeah he he the way coach t is portrayed is completely astounded by this turn of events, which up to this point, we've been led to believe, nope, they got the guy. This is 100% the guy. And yet when it's his turn to get arrested, everything that Ralph sees, every time he talks to him, he says, this is the face and actions of an innocent man. Yeah. Yeah. He, he they take him back to the car. His wife, Marcy, comes running up and sees Ralph and she knows Ralph. Like, that's They've the other had thing. barbecues yes. together. They they are friends uh, in a manner of speaking. And she says, you have the wrong guy. And he just flatly says, we don't. You know, he, he doesn't even apologize. He just we don't. And you should go home. There's going to be an officer waiting outside your home when you get there. And tells her to get in her car and go away. Then they get in the car and the drive to the police station is just glorious. He they're like, just ask him casually. Like, so why'd you do it, man? Why'd you why'd you kill this kid? And he's like, what are you what are you talking about? When we're in his POV. Yeah. When he's arrested, too. So it's not 
like where the audience is still questioning his innocence, he in his own mind is shocked. Like you're shocked Mm -hmm. with him then. But there's also this really cool piece that has not been resolved yet uh, that is one of the main things that is making me go, I have to go home and continue reading this book (laughs) right fucking now, (laughs) is that he's portrayed in in his head. He's, I am innocent. I am completely, completely did not do this. But there's a throwaway line of him saying in, in his own head that he hasn't felt right in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Marcy comments on that, too. His wife, so, yeah, mm-hmm. says that uh, as all this is happening, she's saying, oh, the, how could this be? This is impossible because she knows the other side of the story that we will get to. She says that this is impossible. But then she thinks back to just a week ago when his assistant coach said, what's what's with Terry? He's been acting weird lately, like he's fighting the flu or something. And just those two little hints of, like, something is wrong with this guy makes me go, tell me, tell me, tell me. What is it? (laughs) Well, that's this very next piece is what drives the impossibility to the next level. Because in this car ride, he uh, Terry says, you you never even brought me in for questioning. You never even asked me where I was when this murder took place. I was in Cap City. I wasn't even here when this murder took place. And he, the last thing he says to Ralph is, you're going to lose your job over this. And they take him away. With just the most confidence. And it's such a like, wait. And I like Ralph is like, the fuck? Wait. <laughs> uh oh. And it does. The one thing that these interviews help balance out are moments like this where you as a reader are like, wait, if he wasn't here, then okay, something something weird had to have happened. Then we jump back to another interview with uh, a guy. I t- Carlton Scowcraft. Carlton Scowcraft. And his friend, uh, Riley. Yeah. They are out back behind this diner, and they see the white van that we know about. They see Terry get out. He's got blood on his face. He asks if there's a dock in the box nearby because he might need to get his nose cauterized because sometimes it just bleeds and that's it. And he says, can I leave this here? And they're like, uh, I guess. <laughs> like, this is the part where, like, I, I thinking about through all of these, these eyewitnesses, if you think about the chain of events, it is hilarious. <laughs> Not necessarily what happened. Sure. But... He might as well have been walking around town just being like, hey, guys, murderer here. And that's what I Ralph, did a murderer. Everyone I mean, Ralph, like <laughs> makes a comment about that, too. And that that's the part that drives me crazy, like crazy in a good way, mm-hmm. because Ralph keeps wondering like for these two guys. Terry's lived here his whole life. He knows where to go if he needs medical assistance. Mm-hmm. Why is he acting like a stranger to these people? And. And But then he counters with, you know, he left the keys in the van like he wanted it to be stolen. So, you know, guilty. Also, I, it, it's it's, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's, it's, 
if this was really how he did the murder, he's bad at murder. Yes, absolutely. Like, but they're, what's fascinating about these interviews is they're balancing all of this with, you know, they later we find out that his, there's like 70 very clear fingerprints in this stolen vehicle where these bloody clothes were found. And there's all this other DNA evidence. So you don't, even though you're starting to like Terry and you're like, I believe him. He doesn't seem guilty, or at least I did. You don't hate Ralph, even though Ralph did this brash thing. He didn't follow protocol. He's kind of being a dick. He's casting away any doubt. He ignores evidence to the contrary. What he's been given is just so damning that you're really feeling that confusion with him. I love it. That's a great point, because like none of the characters, except for maybe the district attorney, who's a dick... (laughs) Um, like none of the characters, they are all acting on what they believe and they're at odds with each other because the situation is impossible, but the evidence is so impossible that you don't, I I don't know who to believe. It's impossible to know. You can't ignore evidence unless you ignore all the evidence. Mm. And that's part of Bill Samuel's point. They, they have him in the, uh, interrogation room. And Ralph and Samuels are on the other side of the glass. Samuels is the district attorney. The district attorney. And uh, Samuels is, this is a very important case for him because, one, he's up for re-election. And so a high-profile case like this is going to just lock in his chances of staying district attorney. And he also has already had successful convictions of the death penalty for murders. He has uh, two, uh, two people that he calls his boys. On death row. So we know he is he's a death penalty guy mm. and he's going to go for it. And that's when we find out that Terry's fingerprints, they have the van. They went and got the van because Terry left it, got into a green Subaru in the same parking lot and then drove it away, which was also confusing of like, why is he worried mm-hmm. about leaving a car here if his other car was here all day? And so he leaves. But in the back of this van is Frankie Peterson's bike with the with all sorts of blood all over the back of it and just fingerprints, uh, Frankie's and Maitland's fingerprints everywhere. And they've gone over it. Like they, from the DNA standpoint, they have it as long as they can get a DNA swab from Terry. And that's what their next step is. Like they need that to confirm all this. And then there's no getting out of it. They think they've got him beyond the shadow of a doubt. Um, okay, we'll we'll go back to uh, Ben. Do you want to talk about your favorite witness? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we go back to another interview, and this fucking character. Th- that's why when you said the most king character, this is the most king character ever written. We meet uh, Willow Rainwater, who is introduced to us by her yelling about how fat she is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. King has a weird thing about fat people. As the podcast resident fat guy, King always is like, "We got to make sure everyone knows that this character is is chubby." She's <laughs> always like, "It doesn't feel malicious. It's just weird." She was owning it though. She, literally, her first <laughs> line that we get is, "I'm the least willowy willow you've ever seen, huh?" It's like. <laughs> why yeah, and okay. the, the detective's like this isn't about your body and she's like yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> anyway she's this big brassy tax uh taxi driver mm-hmm. and she had been out front of 
Gentlemen, please. That confused which, me. No, that is the best name for a strip club <laughs> I have ever heard. But when, when I read that sentence, it was like, gentlemen, please. It was like, gentlemen, comma, please, comma. And I'm like, why'd she say please right there? <laughs> that is hands down. <laughs> That's just fucking fantastic that writing. Outstanding work. <laughs> the, uh, so she was outside of the local strip club, gentlemen, please. I will never not so laugh at good. that. It's so good. When uh, she picked up Terry Maitland, who at this point has changed clothes. Uh, he's wearing a yellow shirt, jeans, and a big cow skull belt buckle. Horse head. Horse head. Yeah. Same difference. <laughs> and uh, he comes in and tells tells her that he needs to get to the train station, Amtrak or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. To get to the Dallas-Fort Worth train before it departs. And the whole time he's talking to her, it's like he doesn't know who she is. He right. calls she her ca- ma'am. Ma'am. And instead of... Uh, Willow or Miss Willow Rainwater. or whatever. And we learn that they know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, of course, immediately uh, like, hey, catch the guy, string him up. I, I would have, I think she threatens that if she would have known what she knew now, she would have ripped his dick off. Yep, sure uh, did. So Willow. Classic um, Willow. Classic Willow. <laughs> we learned that they, they knew each other, that she has, she coaches. The basketball team, the peewee basketball. Peewee basketball. And that he would come in uh, scouting talent. And she is like, oh yeah, it's because he was a huge uh, murder pervert. But, but it doesn't add up. He would have known her. I was just going to say, do you guys think it's weird throughout all of these interviews, people that I recall, no one is like, yeah, I saw him, but it can't be him. Like, it's not Coach T. There must be an explanation. Everyone's like, fuck that guy. Just like so on board immediately, even though you are innocent until proven guilty. (laughs) But I, I completely understand the way they feel because it's a matter of. They saw him with their eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like if I would have seen someone but she covered didn't, in she bl- didn't see him covered in blood or sure. walking out of the woods. Like, she shouldn't have had any, like, real red flags because, I mean, it's a gentleman's club, so right, you're not surprised who you see there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I didn't get a sense of what time period these interviews took place if they were all before the arrest or if some were after no they were before they have they have the timestamp because they they used that. all of these interviews to support their right case. okay i guess that makes yeah. sense so yeah i guess it would make sense because if it was after the arrest because it would make sense that she was like oh yeah he got arrested for this murder so i believe that he did it because they don't interview people who could have confirmed his alibi because they don't want word to get back to him. So they, right. I mean, they only interview like what, five people? Yeah, not very many at all. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I definitely got the feeling of like, the, the whole theme of the book is like, what is true? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's, it's asking like, you can see something and be 100% sure of the truth, but there's another truth. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to what that other truth is. Well, much into it. There's a, a scene with the interrogation where 
Samuels gets to have a, a one-on-one with Terry and try to get him to confess, which obviously he's not going to confess because he maintains his innocence. Well, he starts, he gives them his alibi in the car on the way to the station mm-hmm. because he's still in that, like that disbelief mode. Like this is just a misunderstanding. I know all these guys this can't be real. And the way they react to him, he realizes, oh shit, this is for real. And he decides to clam up wisely and wait for his lawyer. Always wait for your lawyer. Always, 100% no matter what. Of the time. This is a Dairy Public Radio <laughs> service announcement. Don't talk to the cops. Which, his his lawyer, Howie Gold, has the best entrance of any character in this Howie. book. Uh, did anyone else uh, just imagine the Fonz? No, no, not at all. You imagine Henry Winkler from yeah, Arrested Development? Did, I, I just saw him as... Henry Winkler the entire time. <laughs> That's hilarious. For some reason, I pictured him as Terry Crews. Now that's an interesting casting too. I love that. <laughs> I don't know why, but just because like that big entrance just screams Terry Crews to me. I pictured him as Charlotte's husband from Sex and the City. Uh, oh yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I I do. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, but he walks in and he's like. All right, guys, uh, so uh, do you have uh, a ton of evidence or did you just make the, ser- like, the most serious mistake of your entire careers? Like, you either show me the damning evidence you have or you're, you guys are fucked. Like, have you lost your fucking minds? And it's so amazing. And he, uh, he says, so what did, uh, what did my client say? And he says, and, uh, and Howie uh, how asked them that. And Ralph says, well, he didn't tell us anything. He said he wasn't talking until you got here. And he says, I know he didn't tell you something now. What did he tell you in the initial interview? And that's when we find out. He's like, oh, there was no initial interview. (laughs) It's great. It's also cool because we're we're introduced to Howie through Ralph's eyes. He has a lot of respect for him as a, a professional And so you're seeing these sort of relationships that are otherwise amicable. You know, they're always going to be on opposite sides of things with one another, but they can Mm. still get through all of that. And this seems like it's the first time that they're not going to. And that Ralph still is having these doubts that he just shoves aside. He just reminds himself of the body and the evidence every time doubt creeps in. And then now is the time that Howie comes out and he just says, gentlemen, you're fucked. They all come back into the interrogation room. And from forensics, we have found out that there are two blood types. There are There's O, which is what Frankie Peterson's blood type is. And there is AB positive blood, which is, I believe they say, like 7%. It's 3% of 3%. the population yeah. has AB positive. And that they have um, DNA tissue samples and semen samples that they are going to have the results back in and they are pretty sure all of them are going to be Terry's. Terry agrees to do the cheek swab, tells them that he is AB positive. So again, they are, we've got this. We've 100% got him. And even his attorney with the blood type thing is like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you never get the idea that Howie thinks that Terry did it. I, I definitely felt like he 100% believes Terry. Now we get to the alibi. We find out 
that, in fact, Terry was in Cap City at the time of the murder because he was with the entire Flint High School English Department at a teacher's conference. He was at Harland Coben's assembly. They have a guest speaker. Harland Coben is this mystery writer, and they try to get like a big name in there. And there was four, including Terry, that all drove together in another guy's car to this convention were all there at the time of the murder. When this reveal happens, it's one of the coolest things I've ever read because it's just the whole book at this point flips. Mm -hmm. Because up to this point, it has been, uh, like I said at the start of the episode, it's so elegantly paced, laying out the case against Terrence Maitland. And you are given no reason doubt it and then this happens and you feel the way ralph feels at least i did because the the alibi is so strong and once we get more information it is so all it is just as absolute as the evidence against him yeah, yeah. and you feel the the impossibility that kind of starts to drive Ralph a little nuts. Yeah. Ralph is, con- he's looking to punch these holes and he's like, all right, it's like 70 minutes away. So if he was alone for, for 70 minutes, he at least could make the drive. So we need like an hour and a half. But with Terry's alibi, he was never alone. He shared a room with somebody. He did. Mm-hmm. They, they all went to dinner together. He was at least paired up with a person the entire time. So there's no way he could have gotten out of there. In fact, uh, Howie Gold has a private investigator, Alec Pelly, who he tasks with with certain jobs to help him with his clients. And he calls him with a list of tasks for him to take care of, which we'll get into a little bit later. But they can't argue that his alibi, according to what he says, is, is tight. But they're not going to let him go because they still have enough evidence to say he's guilty. So he is going to have to stay in jail until his arraignment on Monday. Uh, Now we get to uh, our second chapter, which already alarmed me because it's entitled Sorry. It made me nervous immediately. (laughs) We open this scene with Alec Pelly goes and gets the Maitland's daughters from the neighbor's house and takes them home. And he does not give a fuck about the press. (laughs) He is... I imagine him as uh, Mike Ermintraub from Breaking Bad. I forget the actor's name. Old bald guy. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Absolutely. Just he's an old uh, retired police officer who's extremely competent mm-hmm. and no nonsense, and uh, he he's awesome. I love this character. He is outstanding. It's just very cool, and he pulls up. He, he yells at the press to not take videos of these children on their way into their house because the cops are there with a mobile crime lab. They're pulling evidence out of the house. They have a search warrant to take literally anything they want, and they are taking everything they want from him. So back to Ralph and Bill as they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with all this information. This is the first time Ralph is like, well, maybe arresting him in front of everybody was not <laughs> the best idea. And they say, all right, we'll have to just, you know, we'll track down those other teachers. We'll get there, you know, because they could be accomplices. Mm-hmm. They could just be saying he was with him. And, <laughs> and it, that's insane. And he acknowledges that it's insane. 
uh, it's he's basically grasping at straws because yes. he, act- he actually thinks he's like, what these three other people are? They helped him do what? Murder and rape a child? Why? Yeah. To kept, what end? I kept struggling with. Okay, is Ralph sticking to his gun so hard because he, through his actions, has sort of backed himself into this corner from which he can't escape? Or is he so disturbed by the nature of the crime that he has to believe that he has the guy? I mean, and maybe it's a little bit of both, but I kept going back and forth on that because he kept he kept reflecting on what they did wrong. Mm. Here's what I think about Ralph. I believe that at heart, he is a good person. Yes. When he was setting this up, when he was deciding to arrest him in front of the whole town. He was, I believe 100%, he was acting on what he thought was right at the time. Mm -hmm. And everything that happens after, I I don't think he is worried about his career. Because he does say he he has a meeting with Bill Samuels. And Bill is like, if we fuck this up, our careers are over. we're, We're done. And Ralph says, he's like, we're not doing this. I could give a fuck about mm-hmm. our careers. We're doing this because this little boy is dead. And yeah, his family needs justice. They do a great job of never letting that take a backseat. Mm-hmm. Mm. They are constantly reminding you, like, this is not about these people. This is about a little boy who was viciously and brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he is a complicated character. That's why I like the character so much, because... Later on, there is, uh, and we'll get to it, there's a piece of evidence that he very briefly is tempted Mm -hmm. to get rid of because it doesn't support their their theory. But ultimately, while he is tempted, he doesn't do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely human. That is such an amazing piece of writing. All of these characters feel so real yes absolutely and uh probably my favorite part of the book so far is king's ability to write about all of these people's lives falling apart which it brings me to this section we jump to the peterson family heartbreaking which is a chapter i I did not think we were going to get deep into the peterson family do you know what this reminded me of Hmm. this uh, everything about the peterson family pet cemetery the way yeah. he writes the Peterson family's mm-hmm. grief and it, it's it the scene is at the boys remembrance yeah they, they held a, a remembrance slash wake in their home and it's uh the father Frank, Frank or um no Fred no, Fred the son Ollie uh Frank's older brother and Arlene Arlene um and the the way he writes about them just zombie-like walking through this memorial service. And it's it's heart-rending. And I was so relieved that it was just a nice, good family. It, it wasn't... Because mm-hmm. there's this moment they're talking about the mom, Arlene, and she's this bigger lady. <laughs> Gotta got get that in. Hey, we, and, we knew. Yeah, but the the way that her husband describes her is so loving. It really is. And you're like, oh, okay. He didn't come from like some shithole. He 
he had a good loving family and they're just these people trying to cope with what happened. Which makes it so much worse when, as they're walking around, uh, we're seeing this through Fred and he's saying, like, it'll be bad for a long time, but... We It'll have to get, remember Ali yeah, is alive. I, we, exactly. Like he, yeah. And, you know, it things can't get any worse. And then there's a sentence at the God. end that says, he didn't know how wrong he was. And it's like, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know what that's called. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what happens is Arlene goes full manic. She She loses it. She starts throwing plates of food. She grabs a whole rotisserie chicken and throws it against the wall and she manics herself into a heart attack and goes down right on the floor and she they like they lose her and then uh, Fred performs CPR and she she comes back and she just keeps saying I'm sorry and that's all she can say. And he does not want like he vows that her last words to him are not going to be I'm sorry. Yeah. And then she dies. And it's it sucks so bad. Now, the next morning, we have some good news. Because Pelly has sent footage to Howie that he's, he can't even... Howie says I, that he can hear him smiling on the other end of the phone. But he won't say what it is. He's just, just trust me and, and open the link. And what this link is, is to a video of... The Q&A that Harland Coben was Rudd was doing and who steps up to ask a question? Terry Maitland right on, there on camera on camera like they even zoom in. They say that there's like a close up of his face as he is asking this question. And when Ralph sees this, like his thought is, oh, how convenient he asked questions like <laughs> convenient it's just reality (laughs) well i actually i this is the mystery of this story yeah the this is king writing a mystery novel and this is so good because it is it's every piece of evidence that they have collected that we have been given so much of the book to being laid out this video destroys all all of it. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, because not only is it that, oh, they he's on video asking this question. He's on video throughout the entire <laughs> yep. hour yeah, he's so sitting, long like, at a video. table in the very front. Yeah, and like it keeps cutting back to him, so you know they can't even say, oh, maybe he left. Mm-hmm. It's unreal how much they needed this piece of evidence. Yes. It is unreal that it exists, mm-hmm. and I, I love that. Well, and and not only that, so because there, so Ralph is upset about this clearly, and his wife is saying, "Okay, well, yeah, but do you like have forensic evidence? Because you have it here. Do you have it there?" So Ralph goes there to see if he has something. The rooms have been cleaned; they've been stayed in multiple times since Terry stayed in one of them. And he finds himself in this bookshelf and he's talking to the lady who works there. And he figures out that Terry grabbed this book like from the very top. And he's a tall guy from the very top shelf that no one else has touched. He's like, yeah, no one ever looks at that book. He's the only one who's touched it. And he brings it back for fingerprints and his prints are on it. 
A fresh prince. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> what is I that? That was uh, beautiful. Is that anything? <laughs> um, is that anything? <laughs> and yeah, so there's this this scene that we talked about earlier where Ralph brings this book to Bill's house in a bag. He did it in he did the dusting for Prince at his house. It's in just a regular Ziploc bag and not an official evidence bag. It has not been logged into evidence. And he brings it and he's like, it's his prince. It's this Terry was there. Mm-hmm. It's not possible, but he was. And this is the part where Bill says, uh, but what if they weren't? Yeah, what if that book doesn't exist? I hated him at this yes, moment, like yes. with a passion. It's like, fuck you guy but luckily he's there with this state uh trooper lieutenant sablo who is another character he hasn't really done much but i love him yeah he's been around (laughs) because he just yeah like kind of stands there and is stoic like during this bill says hey what we we could just not (laughs) we could just not that book could you just bought a book who cares and what do we think about that and they turn to Sablo and he goes, I do not know what I think about that. <laughs> but he just like glares at Ralph like this uh, this watchful eye judging him. Yeah. And it makes Ralph say, no, I'm logging this into evidence. We're doing this right. Mm-hmm. Which made me respect Ralph yeah, for sure. so fucking much. We're going to take a departure from this story entirely to meet a brand new character that I'm sure we'll get to know more later because they have to have something to do with this. Because it'd be real weird <laughs> be if he was so never weird. mentioned again. Uh, Merle Cassidy. Merle Cassidy wakes up to a thumping on his car window and it is a cop asking for his ID. And he just says, oh, sorry, officer, I was driving late. I got tired. I pulled into this parking lot. I didn't think it'd be a problem. And the cop's like, that is a, it's very responsible of you. But how old are you? <laughs> he says, I'm 18. He's 12. He's a 12-year-old <laughs> child. Yeah, he's uh, he ran away from New York, mm-hmm. where we know that what there was the van. The van, yep. yeah. The van was from New York. Was the first vehicle that this kid stole on his, how long? Several months yeah. long. Yeah, he made it far, and he was fleeing an abusive home. Yeah. And he has just been stealing car to car, making his way. I'd read a uh, book about this kid. Yeah, right. And uh, hopefully we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, uh, but they, they say that they, they take him in the cops, very understanding about not wanting mm-hmm. to him, his parents to know, cause they'll just send him back, but they do take him and they do fingerprint him. And it's just alluded to this is protocol. Mm-hmm. And that's all we get of it. Terry has now seen or not seen. He, he's been told about the evidence And he knows, finally, we've got something that's going to save us. But they know that Samuels is going to fight tooth and nail to keep him in the system, keep him in jail no matter what. And I I guess it's Samuels that made me feel like, is this all for show? For him it is. But I agree Mm. with you, Ben. For Ralph, he's really trying. Ralph just wants the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's one very interesting, not interesting at all, fun fact. Uh, when they talk about the things they found on Terry's computer, they're like, we didn't find any kitty porn. We didn't find any porn at all. We found, you know, sports stuff. We found all the stuff. That we, is his porn. That is. His porn. 
But what I thought was really funny is that they they were like, and uh, and he's watching Ozarks on Netflix. And Jason Bateman plays Terry Maitland in the Outsider series. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. There are many levels to the tower. Yes. <laughs> Ralph goes and visits Terry in jail at like 10 o'clock at night. Both of them would be in a lot of trouble if anybody found out. But that's it's because Ralph isn't sure. However, the conversation doesn't really get either of them anywhere. Mm-mm. It is just saying we're here going through these motions. And that's that. It's one of those moments where Terry very clearly like looks him in the eye and says I didn't do this Mm -hmm. and Ralph's like it's not he's not looking at me like a convict like a perp like a man who's lying to me and I wish I could believe him but I can't you're like why can't you (laughs) we're about to find out why he can't (sighs) because now we get to our third chapter the arraignment this chapter is full of insanity this is one of the most bonkers chapters. Can we talk about, we haven't talked about Terry's wife or his kids. No, Marcy. Oh, yeah, uh, Terry's, yeah. Marcy and his daughters. What did you guys think of them? Specifically Marcy. I mean, the daughters are are these poor little girls whose lives have also been turned upside down. I like Marcy. Marcy's a fireball. I was just going to say, she's a pistol. I absolutely (laughs) agree. Um, And I'm 80 years old. She's a pistol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's going through this horrible, horrible series of events, but she's she stays strong throughout the uh, throughout the book. Well, and Howie is so Howie is so confident that they have this, and he's going to be home. He's like, "This is just procedure. We're going through. They're not going to indict him. It's going to be fine. He's coming home." And the the absolute unwavering faith that she has. Yes. Yeah, there's it, not a second where she's like, did he do There's this? not even, other than that one thing where she thinks right. about him acting kind of off. Yeah. Saying he was being, acting weird. There's not even a, a subtext that she wonders. And yeah, it, it's just, it's just tragic. Her, her part, uh, what all of this does to her and her girls and being hounded by the press and all of that is just sad. And she thinks about what are we going to do like after this when he, and I think they're both thinking about this. We're kind of getting going back and forth between them. Like no matter what happens with this arraignment, our lives are forever changed. Like this is not our home anymore. And they're right. Like you would have to, because people are always going to, Think of him as the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you were to take away all of the mystery elements and anything like supernatural, uh, which honestly, we really haven't gotten anything supernatural yet that we know of from this book, it would still be I'd still read the shit out of it. <laughs> yes. It would still be an incredible book about how a horrible event like this murder not only harms the the murdered victim, but how it ruins the lives of so many mm-hmm. people. The Petersons, their lives are done. The family of the perpetrator, their lives are ruined by this event. It's the whole community is falling apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Terry will be the guilty party until a guilty party is ever found. Mm-hmm. And probably of, still. And probably still by some people. Yeah. All right. Now the arraignment. 
The arraignment is one of my favorite chapters in any book we've ever read. Yep. I texted our group chat <laughs> when I was done. And I think I think it was the same text we got from Ben later, yep. which was, holy fuck. Yeah. yeah. The the point earlier where Terry drops the, the evidence saying, it is impossible that I could do it. The whole book feels like it flips. It turns into a different book entirely. Then it fucking happens again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different book. It Yeah. This chapter, every single thing it builds up, it pays off by the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such a contained piece of madness. And I did not see it coming. And I always see things coming. And it just, it got me so hard. I, I The same thing. Same. I said, oh, well, they're going to, there's going to be something where this is a fake out. Yeah. Oh my God. Nope. And Let's, it, let's, it starts yeah. it starts off with a small fight over a bulletproof vest. They want Terry to wear this bulletproof vest and Howie says no because if they see him in a bulletproof vest and handcuffs, he is guilty. 100%. And Terry also, Terry is against this bulletproof vest. I mean, he has to be cuffed so they've got his suit jacket over the cuffs at least, but he wants to have some some sense of dignity and sense mm-hmm. of pride. And he he's joking about it. Yeah. Like he's smiling. He's they're so convinced that this is going to go their way that he's he says, uh no, I won't wear the bulletproof vest. It's hot. I, I don't want to yeah. I don't want to be sweaty in front of the judge. <laughs> that is great. Ralph is being very standoffish because the the DNA on the semen analysis came back and that semen is Terry Maitland's that they found on Frankie Peterson. Now <laughs> they lead him out and put him on a bus full of other convicts. Well, no, the bus is following because the bus mm-hmm. is go- also going to the courthouse. Yeah. But he's in he's the back n- of a cop car. And he, oh, that's and he's right. And the I'm, first in line for mm-hmm. the arena. Yes. So there's this bus of inmates that are just shouting just nasty things at him. And his wife is with Howie and, and the uh, investigator, Alec. Alec. In another Alec car, yeah. yeah. Yep. And like trying to like hide from the police well, or and try they, and hide from the press, I mean. And they take, and they can't hide from the press because the sheriff takes him to the very front the, the sheriff building. sheriff is a fucking idiot. Yeah, he sheriff is. Sheriff Doolin. Sheriff Doodoo. Nailed it. <laughs> got him. Yep. <laughs> got him. Keep got talking him. over that so she can't edit it out. The point is, oh, there's a sign in the, uh, like with the protesters mm-hmm. that just says, Maitland, take your medicine. And I thought that was really fun. Like, it's The Shining. <laughs> Is, I haven't read The Shining oh, in so that's long. That's like a big thing. He like tells him tells him to come take his medicine when before he hits him. Uh, uh, I thought that was really fun. Did not catch uh, that. The, the crowd at the courthouse, is they're physically fighting for places. Yeah, because it's, it's the crowd of protest, like people like with signs wanting the death penalty, plus all the news media, plus just people in town who want a photo. It's not the middle anybody of the s- in support of him. No, oh, no, of course no. not. Um, and it's the middle of the summer, so like half the police force is on vacation. Mm-hmm. So there's just like not nearly enough people to control, to do crowd control. Yeah, they, uh, the crowd even starts chanting needle, and the inmates on the bus start chanting needle. And Terry looks around and realizes that he recognizes the faces of the people who are chanting Needle as people who were a week ago his friends. And it just crushes him. But all of this stuff going on 
turns on that hyper alert cop brain of Ralph's. I love this. There's, God, there's so a cool. line. I'm going to try and remember it. All of this is happening through Ralph's point of view. And he has this line that's during times like this that you lose sight of the big picture. There are no, there is no forest, only trees. Yeah. And at its worst, no trees, only bark. And I'm like, that's such a cool line. <laughs> it is really amazing. And uh, yeah, it's, he's almost in a trance, like just looking and he sees people's, the the brand name of their genes. Yep. And like he can count every hair on, uh, uh, a lock of hair on Maitland's head goes askew. Somebody throws a book at uh, Marcy and he knows that it's a copy of Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee based on the book's <laughs> spine as he sees it flying. And people are like yelling at her and saying super nasty things. Mm-hmm. It's just ugly. It's a circus. And mm-hmm. he is saying this is this is going tits up so fast. <laughs> it's bad. And he's the whole time he's freaking out because it's at least partway his fault. He's yeah. taking the blame. Why didn't he, they decide to take him around back? Why didn't he insist? Yeah. And it just all happens so quickly. A guy rushes Marcy, I think, and yeah. Howie shoulder checks him to the ground. <laughs> yeah. A guy breaks through and spits, uh, spits in Terry's face. And then Ralph trips him. And then Terry helps the guy who just spit in his face, helps him to his feet. And that sticks out. That sticks out in Ralph's mind. Like he's like later, like I never forgot. So it's like like Jesus, a scene from the Bible, the man in handcuffs helping the guy that attacked him Mm -hmm. up. And while he has this hyper awareness going on, he's scanning the crowd. He sees this girl, which I assume this will come up later. So I'm going to mention it. Sitting on top of her boyfriend's shoulder, she's like a high school kid or something, and she's cheering, and she has this yellow bra, and the strap is falling down her shoulder, and and then he sees another guy in the crowd, and something sticks out about him, something that one of the he's, witnesses said He's holding earlier. a, he's wearing a hat and holding a newspaper bag. Uh, a wool looks, knit cap, despite the heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I kept thinking as I was reading this book is I'm like... This is the shortest chapter yet in the book. Yeah. I knew that the end of what we were set to read was coming up. And the chapter is called The Arraignment. And the entire time I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a short arraignment. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly the shortest arraignment. (laughs) Because I was like waiting for them to get inside. But it just goes on and on until. Ollie pulls a gun out of his canvas bag. Ralph sees it and is able to shout gun. Terry shoves his wife out of the way as Ollie takes his first shot. The bullet grazes Terry along the head. Ollie shouts, my brother wasn't enough. You had to kill my mother too. Sablo luckily rushes in. He he tackles one of the reporters out of Ralph's line of fire because he's trying to get a shot on Ollie. He's, he has his his shot lined up, gets bumped into, and the bullet goes stray and hits a camera. Which uh, hits a sh- camera 
attached to a cameraman yeah. who gets severely injured. I, I thought that part showed a lot of restraint on King's part <laughs> that just us, like, this scene is going so bad mm-hmm. that I fully expected Ralph to, on top of everything, Kill a shoot guy. an innocent bystander. Yeah. Uh, but no, he just kills a camera. Yeah. Ollie fires a third time. Doolin is the, the note I made after that is Doolin is continually useless mm-hmm. because yeah. he's just like trying to bark orders and into this this insanity. Nobody can get anything straight. They're arguing over do we get Terry inside the building? Do we take him back to the car while there's an active shooter on the premises? An active shooter who is this kid. It was not a bad kid. We've we've gotten chapters with him. Mm-hmm. We watched him watch his mother die. We watched him take care of all of the funeral arrangements mm-hmm. by himself because his dad couldn't do it. Like, we like this character. Mm-hmm. The note I then made was Ralph fires and Ollie is shot through the forehead. Make it, it, his head caves in with the shot. Following that, Fred is now all alone. <sighs> yeah. Was the first thing that came to my mind. It's so tragic because you you're thinking of ollie as this innocent kid he is firing into a crowd of people i mean i was still shocked i understand why ralph did a kill shot because he has to protect all these lives but it was such a shock to me like oh no that now both peterson boys are dead then we find out that that third bullet that ollie shot caught terry in the chest either in the heart or right above it this was the part that was like, it, but he'll as, be okay. <laughs> yeah, as this is all the like, uh, Ollie goes down, and in the the silence that rings out afterward, you hear Marcy screaming, "Help! Help my uh, help my man!" And I immediately thought, "Oh, it's gonna time jump to Terry in the hospital." And we're gonna, you know, it's gonna go from there. Nope. Nope. Ralph sees that Terry is going to die. Uh, Doolin even makes some stupid comment about saying that if you'd only been wearing the vest, (sighs) shut up, Doolin. (laughs) No one cares what you think. Ralph grabs Terry and he says, look, you, you are going to die. This is your last chance. I need you to confess to me that you did this. So that way you can move on with a clear conscience. Like, I need you to tell me that you killed the boy. And Terry smiles and says, but I didn't. I didn't. So tell me, Ralph, how are you going to clear yours? And dies. Badass last words. Fucking <laughs> badass. I was reading this in my favorite coffee shop. I feel like that coffee shop has had to deal with a lot of outbursts from yeah. then. Are you not allowed back in Brood Book anymore? Because I like slammed the book down and was just like, oh, I lost my mind. I was reading quietly in bed next to my husband who had earbuds in because he was listening to something and I just lost my shit next to him. It's what is the rest of this book? Uh, what is the rest of this book? I cannot wait. I fucked up. You started reading ahead, I kept you? reading. I, I knew you stop. would, you monster. No, but I'm only a couple chapters past this, so I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna make any speculation about what I think this is, because it uh, wouldn't be fair. I am so excited. <laughs> I that is such an insane move 
because up to this part, I went into the book not knowing anything about it, but I was so positive Terry was our main, going to be our main character. Eventually, we were going to get more from his side. We would see what he, I, I, yeah, I am flabbergasted, <laughs> absolutely but speechless. That is so king, though. Like, who you think might be sacred isn't. I mean, we've had that before. If you've read the Dark Tower series, <laughs> he will he will crush your soul. <laughs> and not blink an eye when he does it. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode for part two, where we will be covering through the chapter visits. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm Sam Alexander, reminding you, sorry cannot be your last word on this earth. I will not allow it. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Outsider Part 1. Josh, Ben, and I are having an awesome time talking about this book, and we would love to know what you think of it so far. Please visit us on social media at Dairy Public Radio, or you can send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. As always, check out our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. And if you're interested in bonus episodes, cool merchandise, and fun extra stuff every month, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.